0: Welcome back. This is Attorney Chuck Shire with the law firm of Shire and Ritchie in East Peoria. We do criminal defense in state and federal court. You can reach us at 309-839-2024 or on the web at www.srtriallawyers.com. Today we're going to talk about federal court. Now, there's been a lot of episodes where we have talked about state court, um, this is uh, a particularly different situation if you find yourself in federal court there is a uh, federal court in peoria there's also one over in urbana and one down in springfield also one up in rock island uh, all within the central district of illinois so if you find yourself in federal court it is uh, extremely serious, and we highly recommend that you retain counsel. If you cannot afford counsel, there is a public defender's office through the federal public defender's office. And if they have a conflict of some sort, they can appoint a private uh, attorney under the criminal justice act. Those are typically referred to as CJA attorneys, um, but they would function similar to um a a private attorney but they would just simply be paid from the government funds so if you are in federal court highly recommend that you retain an attorney right away now one of the first things that's going to happen in federal court is whether or not you're going to be released or detained so uh, there are many differences between state and federal court, but this is a particularly interesting one. The, there isn't a traditional bail system that you would have in state court. Um, the, you don't go in front of a judge who says, okay, if you post 10% of $100,000, you can walk. Well, you don't get that. In federal court, there is a determination as to whether or not you're going to be released or whether or not you're going to be detained. Okay? There is no actual bail. If you're released, you can be released on um, a combination of of conditions that you must follow, or you would you would be detained. So remember, there's going to be two things: you're either going to be detained or you're going to be released, and this is going to happen typically right away. Okay. Um, it's called a, a, detention hearing if it's, if it's requested by the government. So when you make that first appearance, you're going to find out whether or not they are detaining you or releasing you. This is not the, uh, arraignment. Okay. So usually you'll get picked up on an arrest warrant and you'll be brought in front of the, the court pretty quickly. And... It'll be a return of the uh, arrest warrant, and that will be uh, returned executed. You'll be in front of the judge, and you'll be presented with um, either an information or an indictment that will set out really what the charges are. Uh, That may change down the road, but then you are made aware of what those charges are. So this could happen within 24 hours, 48 hours of you being, uh, being arrested. And you're going to be in court, um, be very, very smart if your loved ones would go out and hire private counsel. Um, private counsel or, or the public defender's office will be sitting right there next to you. Make sure that you are fully aware of what those charges are at this time. Um, again, it's not the arraignment, but the um, government then is asked whether or not they're seeking detention. All right, so that's this, this very important thing about release or detention. Now, it, you know there are certain offenses where it is uh, per se detention unless you can s- uh, show certain things. Otherwise, the government is going to report to the court whether or not they're seeking detention. And they're going to make that uh, determination based on a number of different factors. But the most important one is really the what you're charged with. You may be charged with an offense that um, does not require detention and the government would not be seeking detention and therefore um, you would would have a a full release and that release would just be on the condition that you uh, don't break the law and you show up for all your court dates, but you do not have to post a traditional bail. So you wouldn't have to throw down 5,000, 10,000, 15,000 for you to uh, make sure that you appear. If the government says, yes we want detention the government can say that they're ready to prove up detention right then and there okay you do not get this opportunity to review a bunch of evidence or anything like that the probation office does prepare a pretrial report it is provided to you and to the government and also to uh to the court Uh, your attorney at that moment can say yep let's go um we're ready to uh, discuss these issues of of detention, or the government can say, hey, we're not ready, uh, but we would like a detention hearing. And in that instance, the the judge can hold you over for three days, no more than three days, and set it for a detention hearing. So if this happens on a Friday, you're going to get a detention hearing on Monday, unless you go in on Monday and ask for a continuance. You can do that as well, it's just you're going to be detained um, for that time period. So if the government asks for the time, the magistrate judge can detain you for those three days. Again, let's say you're arrested on a Monday, you go up in front of the judge on a Tuesday, they, they can hold you um, to that Wednesday, that Thursday, that Friday. Okay, If it's you show up in front of the judge on the Friday, and the government asks for an additional time you're going to have your hearing on Monday all right again you can ask for the continuance but you stay in custody okay um, now i think uh, you know typically these things are going to be in front of the uh, magistrate uh, judge but if if no detention is sought by the government then you're going to be released okay if detention is sought and you're going to have that hearing, that does not mean that you're not going to be released. What it means is that you're going to have a detention hearing. All right, so if you're having that detention hearing, there's a standard that the the judges are only going to hold you if no condition or combination of conditions will reasonably assure your appearance or the safety of others. So this is sort of this danger to the community type thing. Um, And what, along those lines, with regards to safety of others, uh, there might be a situation where the government argues the defendant poses a very specific threat to a very specific person or set of people. Um, It it may not be that way. This might be a uh, selling drugs situation. So then it might be whether or not The defendant has some propensity to commit crime. The government might be able to present some evidence that you've had a series of offenses, or perhaps you were on parole, or perhaps you were on probation, or some type of deferred prosecution out of the state court while you picked up this uh, new offense. So the government would say, hey, look, this person's continuing to offend over and over and over again. They're a danger to re-offend, a danger to to the community. now, this likelihood to appear—that's uh, pretty obvious. What hurts defendants here are whether or not they have prior failures to appear, whether or not they were on probation or have probation violations, they have parole violations, all those different things where you were given a set of rules and you didn't comply. Okay, if um, I've seen a situation where somebody was the, the government was trying to detain them on a child pornography case. And in the process of the detention hearing, it came out that the defendant had internet access. And, well, this particular defendant was a registered sex offender and was not allowed to have an internet, uh, internet access. So the government viewed that as a... Um, a violation of the rules a violation of his uh, sex offender status the court agreed and said hey look this is um, somebody that i cannot guarantee that they won't get on the internet i can't protect the community from this person and and have them detained otherwise probably would have been would have been uh, released so what are your lawyers going to do on this well they're going to try to put together a case that they can recommend to the court that you be released. And maybe you're released on no conditions or a combination of some type of conditions. There are a variety of different factors that uh, should be considered and, and talked about like the nature and circumstances of the, of the offense. Now at this point, there's very little evidence out there and I, you know, I can tell you from prior experience, the nature and circumstances of the offense, are it's not a strong factor. Um, you can stand up there and argue all day that it's a weak case, weak case, weak case, uh, but the, the evidence isn't really out there. I, I think the majority of the magistrate judges are going to make that decision based upon whether or not you're likely to reoffend, whether you're going to follow the rules or whether or not you pose some type of specific danger. They're going to focus less on the nature and circumstances of the offense. Now, it is something that they consider and they should consider. Your lawyers will make that argument. But just know that going into that detention hearing, if you're focusing everything on, judge, this is a weak case, you may not ultimately get that outcome that that you're looking for. A defendant's character, that certainly is something that, that comes into play. Now, that can be a challenging one because here you are in federal court on a, uh, on a criminal offense, but perhaps the defendant is 40 years old and has never had a criminal offense. Perhaps they're otherwise a law-abiding citizen. Those are the types of things that you can present to the court. Their physical and mental condition. If they're under the constant care of a physician, or they're having some mental issues, that could possibly be a reason that the courts might say, "Okay, we're not going to detain," um, but would perhaps make as a condition that there is certain amount of treatment. I've seen stuff where a defendant did not uh, uh, was not detained, but was released to some type of uh, rehab organization where they, they went into custody and stayed with an organization that helped them through uh, rehabilitation. Uh, could also be current employment, their family and and community ties. And those are two things that are closely tied. If you have a defendant who has a great job and has held that job for 10 years, 15 years, they have a family all here in this community, then they have a strong draw to stay here, to not run, to not flee. And if they have that strong tie to the community, you can, you can make that argument. Uh, a history of drug or alcohol abuse. That uh, certainly is going to play against a defendant who has that history of drug or alcohol abuse, because that will go to show that they have some issues. And you know, if you're abusing alcohol, abusing drugs, it is far less likely that you're going to make really good, sound decisions. It may also lead you into reoffending. Um, it may also lead you to associate with people who are reoffending, which could take you down a, a really bad path. Um, and also, of course, the uh, the criminal history is, um, is is very, very important. You know, the court's going to consider. Whether or not this is a person who has uh, good, good, strong character, uh, good, strong prior conduct, but for this offense, or is this somebody who has been in and out of the system over and over and over again? Um, you know, I think that it. what is relevant is as far as community ties go is whether or not the defendant is married, Do they have children? Are they currently living with the spouse? Are they providing uh, support for the spouse? Who do they live with? Who else is in that house? Uh, is there anyone else who has a criminal record? It, you know, um, usually there is someone proposed as a third party custodian and uh, under that situation, they are released and they stay with this third party custodian and this custodian which is typically a family member um, is often lectured by the court that hey look you know if they break the rules you need to turn them in I, I'm not suggesting that that really happens but um, but you, you you sometimes hear that lecture and what's what's really important, is that there is some type of support structure demonstrated. And that gives the court some sense of security that, OK, well, this person is really going to take this serious. This person has some accountability. They have accountability to this particular loved one. That person is kind of overseeing things. And that gives them perhaps just enough to make sure that they comply. They. They perhaps go to drug treatment or alcohol treatment. They perhaps show up at all their court dates, and they, they no longer uh, offend. Um, again, current current employer income, all that kind of stuff, will be um, will be relevant. So you got to understand that in federal court, it is uh, dramatically different, and you need to um, immediately. Retain counsel, uh, you know, um, retainer fees, and I have discussed in a prior podcast is to how expensive uh, cases are. Federal cases are always more expensive. There is uh, usually far more evidence in a federal case. In a federal case, the evidence could be far more detailed. There could be a lot of surveillance evidence. Surveillance evidence takes a lot of time to view. There could be audio evidence. Now, again, all of that could occur in the state court, uh, but it's, it's just not as frequent. In the federal court system, there are sometimes conspiracies charged where you have multiple defendants. Uh, again, you can have that in federal court. You just don't see it as frequently. But when you have those conspiracies, you're going to have a substantial amount of uh, evidence to to review. I've handled um, a RICO conspiracy case where the evidence was over 100,000 pages, plus social media accounts, which were countless uh, videos and pictures. So it took quite a bit of time to go through all of this and to kind of boil it down to be prepared for for a trial. So. Um, now, you may go through this detention hearing and the court you know, may release you, as I indicated earlier, or the court might say, look, there's no condition or conditions I can give to assure the safety of the community or that you're going to appear and I'm going to detain you. And that's the ruling. You are now detained throughout the end of your case with this caveat there is, within the statute, you can ask to reopen that detention hearing. If you ask to reopen the detention hearing, you have a threshold to get over. There has to be additional evidence that was unknown at the time of the detention hearing. So typically, what you're going to look at is the order that the magistrate judge has issued. You're going to look at his reasonings. as to why detention was ultimately ordered. And if you have some new information that was simply unavailable, um, or perhaps you can explain why, you know, everyone was unaware of it, it. Best to address those very specific reasons why the court ordered detention. And I want to tell you, it, this is a very high burden to get over. So it, it, it is not easy. Usually, when your client is detained, um, not always, but usually, they're going to be detained through the outcome of the case. Now, that creates substantial leverage for the federal government. Usually, the federal government has much many more resources than the state, local authorities and those cases are um, much stronger, um, investigated to a greater detail, may have extensive evidence, and may come with consequences that uh, um, are much heavier than if the case was charged in state court. So there is substantial leverage. Uh, The if you are detained or if your loved one is detained, they are getting credit. So you need to be aware of that. They are getting credit. Now, there can be some very interesting different scenarios. You could have a situation where a defendant is picked up on a federal case, but they have a state parole hold. Now, uh, this becomes a bit complicated, but If for some reason the court were to order release, your loved one, the defendant, would not even be released because there is a state parole hold. They would just go into state custody. Um, Now, you know, if and this can happen when you have a defendant who is on parole and state parole and they pick up a federal offense, and in fact, that's going to be quite common. Um but the problem that they have is they're in federal custody. So they're not getting credit for their state parole time. Uh, now uh, until the parole or board meets. Now the parole board may meet and decide that there's no additional time needed because he's in federal custody. Um, that's certainly, you know, it is a possibility. Otherwise, you'll do your federal time, or if you're ultimately released from federal custody, and then you'd go back to do your state parole time. So um, I hope this has uh, helped you understand a little bit about the federal uh, system of release or detention. Again, remember, if you are a loved one charged with a federal offense, it's very important you retain counsel and do that right away. Um, it is. There are unbelievable consequences for a federal offense, and the evidence is uh, oftentimes overwhelming. And you need to have representation. You need to make sure that this process is carried out fairly and and carefully. Um, in other podcasts, you might want to check these out, where we talk about federal procedure how things work in the federal courts um how a federal sentencing hearing works how uh, the federal sentencing guidelines are put together and um, um you, you know I, I think that you need to have a really clear understanding of what you're up against in federal court so thank you again for listening uh we certainly wish you uh all all the best uh the law firm is shire and ritchie in east peoria we handle state and federal cases we can be reached at three zero nine eight three nine two zero two four or on the web at www.srtriallawyers.com. Stay safe, everybody.